What's going on? It's your boy to be here live from the MMB Radio Studios, where the MMB Radio Podcast, where no topic is too big or too small. We talk about them all, and on the phone lines, I want to welcome in a woman who has kind of done like amazing things in the adult business. And when I say amazing things, because she's kind of like gone from having her own company and doing her own videos and she's got this whole boot camp thing i just let her explain it because she explains it a hell of a lot better than i do which is a way hotter than i am so i want to walk you into the phone lines right now samantha max samantha what's going on hey how are you thanks i'm good thanks for having me i feel like i feel like that introduction just is, is not doing any justice because there's so much stuff like when i first found you online on Twitter. When was that? Well, when I first found you through Twitter, you know, I was just like, oh, wow. I'm like surfing around looking through your, your Twitter page and everything and all the links that you have to all this amazing content. And I'm like, oh, I got to get her on the podcast. But I say this in a most flattering and, you know, kind way. It was a little <laughs> overwhelming. There was a lot of stuff there to kind of take in that I'm like, all right, where do I start? Where do I like, I'm like, I'm just going to send her a message and be like, do you want to be on the podcast? And then just let's just get her to to commit to it and say yes before we start getting into all the details of what is everything that you do and uh oh. well i mean i guess the first thing we should start is you are in, in canada right so i'm from canada i'm currently in los angeles okay so born and raised in canada absolutely all right now we've been having a lot of canadian guests on the podcast that i don't know i feel like i should start filing for dual citizenship but we got a new. We have a new president elect, so I don't have to do that anymore. Uh, exactly, <laughs> you don't have to marry a Canadian and run away anymore. Yeah, exactly. I can stay here and, and be just perfectly fine and happy. And uh, everybody don't, doesn't like to hear that and wants to tune out. Sorry, <laughs> but hey, it is what it is. You know, it's it's a new day, a new horizon here uh, in the states. Um, so, born and raised in Canada. Now, do you you currently live in Los Angeles? Uh, technically I am living in Los Angeles. Yes. Now, when I say living, I mean like, like legally, like, or do, like, do you have a citizenship? Are you allowed to be here? I'm a hundred percent allowed to be here. Okay. Um, so when Canadians cross the border, they, we don't have to have physical visas because Canada and America are friends, but I'm only allowed to be here for six months, less a day. Okay. So I'm allowed to be here until February at this point. But I have submitted all of my paperwork to stay permanently. Awesome. Now, the reason I say that, I, don't mean so, to, I didn't mean to say, like, are you here legally, like you're some kind of, like, criminal or something. But I mean, like, because like, I know, like, I didn't know how that all worked where you had to have, like, a, like if it had to be dual citizenship. I knew you had to be, like, on, like, a working, you know, permit or visa. Um, yeah, it's really, really hard uh, as a Canadian to come into the States for anything more than a vacation. Okay. They make it very difficult. So technically, I can't even work for another two months, I believe, before I get my work card. Okay. Now, so I'm just freeloading off my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, so, I mean, you are like an adult entertainer. So when you when you yep. tell them that you're here for work, does like adult entertainment or like, you know, sex work, is that technically allowed? Or do they? Oh, yeah. No, it's legal. Okay. It's a real job. Okay. Um, yeah, so I mean, I've, I've been working online for over 10 years, so I don't, it doesn't really matter where I live. My job exists on the internet. Okay. I wasn't so, sure. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know if they told like when you're filling out paperwork to be here for six months, if they're like, you need to have a 
a job where, you know, it doesn't include porn. Oh, well, we don't fill out paperwork to come here um, for six months. We were visitors. Oh, uh, okay. See, I'm learning yeah, all we're this. Just, and we're I'm Canadian. Sure we're just allowed to cross the border. Oh, okay. I, I mean, I'm sure there's people that You are guys out there. welcome us. As long as we have money, you let us in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's people that are listening right now, and they're probably like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? He doesn't know the rules. And I'm like, well, I don't know. It's not like I go to Canada every, you know, six months. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, it I'm learning. There's very tricky laws now because of COVID. Okay. Um, which is why I'm not traveling back home right now. Cause I was like, well, they might not let me back in a second time. So I'm just going to stay. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's what I was saying. And then I know with the COVID situation, I know some of the borders are closed. Um, yes. So all the borders are closed. So how does that work for you right now? So, I mean, you, you're just waiting on the, the finalization of paperwork to be here like permanently or. Yes. So I'm applying for my permanent residence. Um, and I've applied for a travel permit so I can see my family again. And I'm just at the mercy of the government and how quickly they can process my paperwork. So I'm just staying put. So what if they were to hang out on the Internet? I was going to say, what if they told you like or they don't get back to you by, you know, a certain time and you have to go back, you know, by law or, you know. Oh, and that's not how it works. Okay. <laughs> so because I've submitted my paperwork, um, I'm considered an uncontrolled alien. And as long as my paperwork has been submitted, I have to stay put. They'll actually end up taking my passport and forcing me to stay put. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's, yeah. that's just as good as having them approve the paperwork, I guess. Like, you can't go back anyway, so. Yeah. And, like, normally if it wasn't COVID season, you know, the fastest people can have been processed is about four months. And right now they're estimating up to 33 months. So I could be stuck here for a while. Oh, okay. So the, the, the pros and cons of the pros is that you're, I mean, obviously you, you want to be here, you know, you said with your wife, the, you know, con is that you can't necessarily go back to Canada if you wanted to. Yeah. I didn't know the last time I was at my mom's house would be the last time I was at my mom's house. Yeah. Cause you can't. So that's a little, a little sad. Yeah. COVID's really made this confusing, hasn't it? <laughs> it's made it really hard. Like I can't get my car down here. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I had to buy a new vehicle. So now I've got a vehicle in Canada and a vehicle here. And it's, it's been a process. Even getting some of my stuff shipped down here was really difficult because of that whole postage fiasco. <laughs> Weird. Oh, America. Yeah. I mean, oh, America. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning all new things here. I mean, you know, like I said, clearly I'm not, you know, a traveler across the border that often to know, you know, what is the, uh, the rules. Um, but that's really interesting. So, I mean, kind of... Uh, take us through what it was like growing up in Canada. Cause I spoke to a couple other people. We've had, you know, Francesca Milano on here and we've also had some other guests uh, that are from Canada. And it's, it's really intriguing to me, the difference between the adult business here and the adult business there. There's some similarities, but there's also some differences. So, you know, what was it like being in Canada? Um, okay, which part do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about growing up in I mean, Canada? Or do you want to talk about yeah, the difference well, well, between the adult industries? Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I kind of went two questions there. Uh, I mean, starting off, like, how was it like growing up in Canada? And then we'll, we'll work our way to the uh, the good stuff. Uh, growing up in Canada was amazing. I'm a West Coast girl, always have been. I grew up at the end of a cul-de-sac. So when there was a snowstorm, the whole neighborhood would get together. We'd collect all the shovels from everyone's garages and we would shovel the streets together and while our moms made hot cocoa and we had wood burning fireplaces to keep warm when the power went out so I'm used to a very strong sense of community um, and loyalty with your friends and your neighbors 
And as I've grown up and moved to the city, I've realized that is not how the world works anymore. Um, you know, I grew up doing pretty normal Canadian things. Uh, I got my first shotgun at seven. <laughs> um, rode horses. Uh, just got to got to live a pretty normal kid life. Very very movie like you see in the movies, very picturesque. Um, and then when I turned eighteen, I was just kind of sick of sick of country life and I moved to the big city and I changed my name and I lost a ton of weight and changed how I looked and I became a dancer and started making money hand over fist and then realized that I could be one of those pretty girls who you know people put their pictures up in their workshops and I always wanted to know what that kind of razzle dazzle life was like so that's what I started chasing. And now, I don't know how many years later, I'm in Los Angeles as a porn star. So, I mean, you say you're tired of the country life, but, I mean, like, that's, to some people, that's an extreme to say you're tired of country life and then you become a dancer and, like, get into, you know, the sex business. Um, like, what drove you to, to do that? I mean, I mean, I'm just trying to figure out how to put myself in that mindset. Of how somebody goes from one... from a Hallmark movie to a Netflix yeah. movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I've picked so many blueberries in my life. Um, we had a, we spent all our summers on a blueberry farm. It was crazy. Um, so I was always the ugly duckling. Uh, if you could check out my Instagram, you can see my my photos from high school. I just posted them, I and the I am completely unrecognizable now. Yes, the, transfer, the transformation is, is, is yeah. mind-blowing. So I grew up always having to be, you know, like helpful and funny and generous so that people would want me around because I wasn't one of the pretty girls. I wasn't one of the popular girls. And, you know, I, I grew up in a, a small neighborhood where we all loved and supported each other no matter what because we had to rely on each other. So... As I grew up and I went to bigger schools and moved to richer neighborhoods, I realized that that's not necessarily how the whole world works. And how you look determines the opportunities you get a lot more than I ever thought it did. And so growing up, just being a really nice person wasn't enough anymore. And so I changed everything about myself. Which is kind of sad and depressing that that's how it's a, the world it's a is. little sad but it's also like i was like okay well here's the cards i was dealt and here's how i'm gonna play them and i chose my life i chose everything from that point on i mean i love my childhood it was amazing my parents are awesome they're still together i've got such great family values from what i've learned from them um just recently being in hollywood i got into a disagreement with a friend and i was like I was like, I don't understand yelling at people or silent treatment. I, I've never heard my parents yell. I don't know how to communicate that way. And I was like, for the first time, I was like, I feel really lost in this big city where people communicate differently. And it's because, you know, I realized I've never had that as an example in my life. Mm -hmm. So I, I love so much of the values and so many of the experiences I had growing up. The only thing that I didn't love was that that didn't transition well into the city. Now... And the unfortunate truth of the world is being a really good person and uh, being a really pretty person, you both put your resumes in, the pretty person is going to get chosen first. Well, yeah. It's that whole alpha scenario over and over again. 
And so I was like, all right, well, if I know the rules of the game, I know how to manipulate them in my favor. So I started changing things. I changed my hair. I changed my, my face, my, my skin color. I started tanning because nobody likes a pasty girl, apparently. You know, I started paying a lot of attention to how I look and how I speak and what kind of car I drove. And the opportunities in my life changed drastically. And I became Samantha Mac of Vancouver. There was, I've been on billboards. I've been on every poster and advertisement for every adult event. Um, if I haven't performed at, I've hosted or been a special guest at almost every event Vancouver has had in the last 10 years. And I feel like I conquered Vancouver. And it's not because I'm super talented. It's not because I'm super nice. It's because I figured out what the rules of the game were and how to make them work in my favor. And I became the host of everything. Um, and it was amazing. And I had been working online as an adult entertainer in the shadows. And I was like, why am I in the shadows? If I tell everyone who I am, I'll get more followers. I have more followers. I'll make more money. So I started like buying booths at trade shows. And I was the only stripper who would out herself as a stripper in Vancouver. I was the first stripper to ever have a booth at a, at a trade show. And it blew up from there. Now, if you look at trade shows now, like the Naughty But Nice sex show or the Taboo sex show in Vancouver, people are fighting for booth space. Every girl with an OnlyFans account wants, wants to sell something. But years ago when I started, it was a very shameful thing. So I kind of paved the way for these new girls um, without intending to. I just put myself out there and was like, this is how you advertise. This is how you market. And it worked. And so fast forward a decade. Now I teach porno boot camp where people ask me how to build a career out of nothing the way I did. So, I mean, listening to that explanation, a couple of things I take away from it. Like clearly you are, you are your own person. You know, I mean, you're not going to let people hold you back or, you know, dictate what you're going to do with your life. But what do you say to people that are listening to this and are saying, well, you kind of changed everything you are, though it's clearly been successful to you, but you, you kind of changed who you are to get ahead. Like, how do you feel about, mm -hmm. you know, being true to yourself? Like you, you had to change who you were in order to get ahead. Do you have any remorse or regret saying, you know, I wish I could have just been who I really am and not had to change a lot about myself to play by the rules? I, I don't have any regrets because I put myself in a good position. Um, and I, you know, I have no problem looking in the mirror. I think I look great. Um, I'm not complaining. I think, I think the, the sad part of it is I remember buying my first set of boobs and telling my mom, cause I asked my mom to lend me like the rest of the money I couldn't make. And I said, you know, once I buy these tits, my income will double or triple because that's how it works. And she was like, yeah, I believe you. And then, so we always joke that, uh, my grandma gave me a check for my birthday and we always joke that my grandma bought my left nipple because I was so <laughs> short on how much I needed for that set of boobs. And, uh, and then sure enough, I show up with big boobs. I instantly get a raise cause that's how the stripping industry worked at the time. And I got, uh, feature positions. And then once people knew that I was smart and funny and witty and well-spoken, I was no longer just the feature. I was now the host of the show. And I ended up getting a bunch of acting roles because of it. But until I bought my first set of boobs, I was very overlooked. And somebody was always chosen before me. Same thing with, you know, getting hair extensions or learning how to do your makeup better or Botox and fillers. When 
people are very drawn to that idea of the alpha. You know, you can you can have two equally talented people, or you can even have, you know, George Costanza, who's incredibly talented, and then you could have, you know, the Hulk walk in, and you're always going to be like, oh, the Hulk's more qualified, because it's in our nature to be drawn to what we assume is the alpha. And as a woman, we always look towards, you know, the soft, beautiful woman that gives us those feelings. That's who we think can get the job done. That's who we want here. And so... Unfortunately, unfortunately, I mean, we still live in a sexist world and my job is very much based on sexism. Mm -hmm. And as long as I keep playing the cards right, I'll keep succeeding. Is it right? No, probably not. Is it, you know, morally or ethically something that we should praise? Probably not. But at the end of the day, like I said, when you know the rules of the game, you don't have to play by them. But if you know them, you know how to manipulate them to your favor. So what made you geared towards porn i mean obviously porn and sex sells and there's a a shitload of money to be made in that business but did you have a lot of exposure to porn were you you know actually sexually active person like yes because like what Um, like what what differentiates from wanting to do porn and someone just deciding that like i'm going to change my look because i want to be a singer or i want to be you know some other form of entertainment like why did you pick porn Ooh, okay. So I, a couple of reasons. There was a couple of things that really drew me to it. First of all, I love to stir the pot. Um, I love to stand up for the underdog. I, I kind of like being argumentative and confrontation. And so doing something that everyone told me that shouldn't be done gave me all the more reason to do it because people were blindly saying that it was wrong and it was bad. And I was like, why, why does that be wrong and bad? Um, but even before that, I think I spent my whole, like, I was going to say childhood and, like, school-age time always just wishing I was pretty. I was always one of the boys, and I wanted more than anything just to be pretty, just to be looked at. And I didn't realize that that was something that I could do myself. I thought that, oh, that's the face God gave you. Deal with it. Um, and then I turned 20 and was like, oh, wait, I can make choices. I can change things. Um, and so, you know, I was working as an actress and I, I had been all over, all over social media back when MySpace was a thing. Um, but it wasn't until I, I realized that I was in control of my future, that I could do anything. And I'm like, well, if I can do anything, why don't I live out my wildest dream? What's the wildest thing I can think of? Well, let's do porn. Let's be that girl from the farm in Abbotsford who ends up doing pornography in Hollywood. And they said, it, <laughs> they said it couldn't, I mean, they I, said it couldn't be done. I mean, I, like I, done. like I understand the explanation and it makes sense to me, but I mean, for some people, and I ask a lot of my guests this because you have to like put yourself, I believe, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like you have to be put into a certain kind of mindset because not everybody is just kind of comfortable with, getting up and getting naked and having sex on camera. So how did you get to that mental hurdle? When you, so I lost a hundred pounds and when you achieve an accomplishment like that, especially when it's your body, you want nothing more than to show it off to everyone. 
Mm-hmm. So the first 20 pounds I lost, I got my nose pierced. The next 20 pounds, I got my tongue pierced. The next 20 pounds, I got my clip pierced. And then when I finally reached 100 pounds, I was like, I need to reward myself. And so I took a pole dancing class because it was something I thought I couldn't do. Um, so this is like, you know, before I became a stripper, obviously. And that's how I became a stripper is I had all this upper body strength. Um, and then I took a pole dancing class. And from that first class, I was hired instantly. And I was working that Friday night. And I realized that all these, these dreams and hopes and wishes I had of being noticed and being pretty and feeling sexy and being proud of my body weren't as far out of reach as I thought they were. All I had to do was make choices for me in my life based on what I wanted, not what people thought I should want or thought I should do or thought I should be. And everything changed. So a lot of people have, have hangups about getting naked or having sex with, with the lights on even. But at that point in my life, I had just lost 100 pounds. I finally felt beautiful. And I wanted nothing more than to show off. So the and confidence show off, was I did. there. And you gained that confidence. Oh, yeah. And the confidence, it was just like, just it was just oozing out that you just wanted to, I mean, confidence can do I a lot like, for put people. Put a spotlight on me. Yeah. And I, and I guess maybe that's, I mean, and that's, and I'm glad you explained it that way. Because a lot of people that I've had on the, on the show, they, they don't necessarily explain it the same way they're just kind of like you know it's just something that i wanted to do because there was money to be made in it and i'm like okay i, I get that i understand there's money to be made see the money it. was never a driving factor for me i had a lot of great jobs i've i've had a, i've had a great life i've had really amazing jobs i thought that i was going to be a doctor by now um i was setting myself up to go to med school i had worked as a athletic trainer for two years for varsity football teams i was I was super passionate about the work that I was doing. The difference between what took that spark away and put it towards adult entertainment was the fact that I was doing it for me. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel good as opposed to wanting to do it for the money. I could, I I mean, I'm, I'm educated and I'm skilled. I could make the money anywhere else. I have to fight to make the money in adult, especially in Canada, because there isn't a very large industry in Canada. Um, my director and I always joke that there's nobody in Vancouver making porn that hasn't gone through us yet because we bring in so much business. Um, my goal as of the last four years with porn bootcamp was that I wanted to leave a legacy of a porn industry in Vancouver so that girls like me wouldn't grow up thinking that this was impossible so that they could think that, Hey, if I want to hustle my own butt, I can choose to hustle my own ass and I don't own that anybody else anything i don't have to go to la i don't have to have some manager or agent telling me what to do and when to do it if you want to be a woman who feels good about her body and you want to show it off then you can and it was really important to me that i left that legacy in vancouver where there is jobs and opportunity for any girl whether she lives on a farm or not to feel beautiful and proud of her body and sell it however the hell she wants and like I said, it explains it so well because it's it really comes down to, like you said, having the confidence, having that swagger of, you know, in a way not really giving a shit what anybody has to say or think because, you know, you're confident in yourself. And I guess a lot of people that say, you know, I don't know how I could ever do that. Maybe they lack that confidence. You know, maybe they're uh, they fear of being judged. Yeah. You know, I think that I spent too many years worrying about what other people think. That when the tides finally changed and I started caring about what I think and I started bending the rules and I started doing things because it made me happy, my whole life changed. 
So you get into the adult business and you're doing your own thing. And like you said, Vancouver, it has some adult talent there. But again, I feel like a lot of the opportunities are maybe in the States and you're Mm -hmm. making a path for people who don't have to go that route. So you created your own, I guess, like what would you call it? Your own company. I know you have Mac models. Kind of explain mm-hmm. how that whole process came about and how you got the word out about it or do people just kind of, you know, gravitate towards you when they saw you at trade shows and how did it all come about that you built this empire of, you know, being the queen of Vancouver porn? So there used to be a porn industry in Vancouver until it went sideways. Uh, there was a big court case about consent and it basically shut down all porn production in Vancouver for years, if not a decade or more. Um, so my girlfriend at the time, Mistress T, was filming fetish porn. And there was one studio out in Burnaby that was above a restaurant filming in the shadows secretly. And they taught me everything that I know. Taught me how to talk. They taught me about the psychology behind different fetishes and how to produce content, edit content, how to build a website, how to do all the marketing and advertising. And it was incredibly valuable and to this day i've always been like you know mistress t how am i going to pay you back and she's like yeah just pay it forward and she designed my career for me because there was literally at that point four of us who were filming adult content in western canada at that time and we would meet every two weeks and talk about okay what are your fans saying what are your analytics look like what are your numbers on this video and we would analyze it and figure out how to work better the next week and It was incredible. We were just four women sitting around a table trying to figure out how we could not have nine to five jobs and do something that made us happy and feel sexy and feel, you know, in charge, dominant and powerful. And it flourished into this crazy career that I have now. So when I had been shooting porn for a long time, I worked with a couple different companies and and, uh, I was doing motion capture for adult video games And one of the companies finally was like, okay, well, we're going to do virtual reality porn. And so they're like, well, who can we talk to? They thought of me. And that turned into me working with Tara Patrick uh, in Vegas at the AVN Awards about six years ago. And then from there, with that company, we started shooting virtual reality adult content with myself and then talent that we could fly up from Los Angeles. So we were able to work with all kinds of top name girls and guys. And the problem we were having is that we didn't have enough talent in Vancouver to keep going. So if I wanted a job, if I wanted to keep filming, I needed to have models that could also work so that the work would keep coming to Canada. So that's where Mac Models came from. I just decided that I would create a roster of talent so that American companies would keep coming to Canada for filming. And that worked temporarily until we realized that being willing to be naked on camera is not enough. Just because you, you're well endowed doesn't mean you have the skill to work at the same standard as most performers in Los Angeles. So that's where Porn Boot Camp came into play. So one day, uh, uh, my partner at the time was asked by Caden Cross if he was available for work. And that was such a huge opportunity. We didn't want him to mess up. So we went to uh, my friend and my director's house or her office 
and had sex in front of her so that she could critique us every step of the way um, or critique him so he'd be prepared for this job. And I would just lie there and I'm like, I am your beloved doll. Do what you must with me. And he did every position, different velocity, different speeds, um, different hand positions. And we, we talked through it until he was a better performer. And we filmed it. We put it on my website. And it did amazingly. And really quickly, other couples started coming out of the woodwork. And they were like, hey, can we do Porno Boot Camp too? And that's how it got called Porno Boot Camp. I didn't pick the name. It was chosen for me. Um, other couples and performers started contacting the company, asking if they could have a shot. And most times, Anna, the director, would send them to me and go, you go talk to Sam. She's got a porno boot camp she runs. And I was like, I do? And within 24 hours, I figured it out. And I put together a class syllabus. And I bought the URLs. And I was like, yep, I teach porno boot camp now. And I started working with these people and making them better performers, teaching them how to turn out, what to talk, you know, what to wear, how to put your garter belt on under your panties so we can pull your panties off and still keep the garter belt on with your pantyhose and not look like a crazy octopus trying to take your clothes off. Um, we started teaching people like how to look good on camera so that they could get employed so that more work would come so that I could work more. And this all snowballed from me wanting more work for myself. And now years later, here we are revamping Porno Bootcamp. Because of COVID, we're making an online education series that's available worldwide so that anybody who's ever thought of doing porn can do it for themselves in their homes and learn the skills that make them employable if they ever want to come to LA or Vancouver or Toronto or New York, wherever large productions are shooting. And you're not coming in with your tail between your legs being like, okay, I'm naked. What do I do now? You're coming in with skill and talent and knowledge. And I'm not sure if that's been done before. I don't know if somebody taught porn before. I mean, I'm stopping. I'm listening to this and I'm like, wow, this is really dope because, again, I don't think there is any, like, not to my knowledge, you know, people, I mean, the people laugh and they say, oh, porn, well, any monkey can fuck, you know? And I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. but it's really, like you said, you're taking it from having, you know, it being raw cell phone, just shooting at home. Where, mm -hmm. again, anybody can do that to being a quote-unquote star, you know, putting the word star in porn star as opposed to just, you know, random sex being recorded. And uh, Well, and a lot of people take porn for granted. Um, the last set that I was on was a Halloween movie, and it was in a house that smelled of cat urine, <laughs> um, which is distracting to say the least. We had to do a scene where my partner slowly turned into a werewolf. So we would do one position on a hard dining room table, which left a bruise on my tailbone and we would stop and they'd have to put glue on his hands. And then they trimmed fake hair onto the back of his hands to make his hands look hairier. And then we'd have to shoot the scene again from a different angle, showing off that his hands were turning into werewolf hands. And then we'd have to cut again and take like a 20 minute break. Poor guy. You know, he's up, he's down, he's left, he's right. Like, it's so demanding on, on the men. They think they can just come in and fuck a hot chick, and it's not how it is. So the whole scene gets changed. The cameras move around. The lights change. We were using, um, like, a rain machine and thunder lightning special effects, so we had to wait for that to work. And then the power wasn't working, so I'm half naked with one leg up on a table just waiting for the, the action to be called and we're sitting there waiting and my pussy's getting drier and he's losing his boner and that's what acting in porn is. It's 
so rarely do you get to come in and fuck on a nice, comfortable bed with a nice, gorgeous person all in one take and have the time of your life. It's often multiple positions. It's often uncomfortable. It doesn't necessarily smell good. Um, you're not necessarily in a position that feels good. You're in a position that looks good for the camera. And these things blow people's mind. Our first porno boot camp class is called um, Come On Time. Now, we want you to arrive on time, but it's all about controlling your ejaculation. And men's minds are blown when I tell them they have to be in control of their dicks. Because most men in their dating lives just think that the girl turns them on and it just happens. It just goes off when it wants to. Well, no, you can actually control your orgasms. You can actually control your erections. And if you want to be on camera, then you need to be able to perform when you're told to, not just when, you know, the cool breeze turns you on. <laughs> you need to be able to respond at a certain time when a certain camera is pointed at you and you have to point it in the right direction. And so when I tell men that they are expected to ejaculate when I tell them to, it blows their mind. And we do workshops on this and we give them homework to train and to practice. And some men become so wonderfully skilled and so efficient. There's men in the porn industry right now who are hired for this one skill alone, especially in virtual reality, because you don't get separate camera fakes. You get one take. You cannot mess it up or it is a very expensive mistake. And it's really interesting watching the average Joe who's just filming on his cell phone at home in bed with his girlfriend, you know, posting on Pornhub or OnlyFans or whatever, watching them understand the difference between amateur porn and what a porn star is required to do. Now, let me ask you, this is all intriguing and it's so awesome to hear all this, but why do you feel that nobody else has already done this? Like, it seems like an easy <laughs> concept and it seems like it makes so much sense. But yeah, this is the first I've heard of anybody actually having a school, you know, or a university where you learn how to do this stuff. Every time I've asked somebody, like, the number one question I get asked by fans for adult stars is like, well, how can I get into the business as guys? And they all say the same yeah. thing about how, oh, well, you, you have to be able to ejaculate on, you know, cue, and it's just so much harder for guys. And it kind of just, the answer ends there. There's no, well... Mm you know how do we like you would think big companies would want to build stars so why isn't any how why hasn't anybody done this prior i know that in europe there was a porn school but i don't know if that was just for a movie or if it was real um but when i was so eagerly looking into this industry 10 years ago if there was a school or a program or a book that i could have bought in order to help me move forward, I would have done it in a heartbeat. And I looked and I contacted people. I remember asking, I remember emailing, you know, I think we're back in the days of MySpace, um, contacting people in, in Hollywood being like, could you teach me how you got so many fans? Could you teach me how you do this and how you do your makeup and how do you get onto a porn set? And everyone was just like, I don't know, get an agent, figure it out. Mm -hmm. That's um, the answer I always was, get from people. Yeah. And honestly, that's how it's always been, because what happens is you get vetted in until now, 90% of the time, somebody would be working in the industry and they go, yeah, this is my friend. Give them a chance. And then they would get one chance. And if they did well, and sometimes they would lie through their teeth about their qualifications just to get on set. And then they would try their hardest. And if they did well, then a director would go, hey, check out this new guy. He's pretty good. And then boom, you're in the industry. 
Um, if you don't do well your first time in, you get blacklisted real fast. And through Porn Bootcamp, we've had people make huge mistakes. And I was like, you know what? We started designing our classes so that you would make mistakes in a safe, healthy environment where you could understand why it was a mistake. You know, why, <laughs> why coming in a girl the first time you meet her is not acceptable. Because <laughs> um, some guys think that's what porn is. And I remember doing a porn boot camp with a fellow who five minutes into the scene, he was pounding away at the exact same speed the whole time. And we were about to call cut and tell him, like, listen, you got to show us slow. You got to show us fast. You got to show us grinding. You got to show us pumping. You got to show standing, seated, reclined, doggy, spoon. Like, there's so many things we got to get through here right now. If you keep hammering away this one position at that same speed, you're going to gas out. And he did. And he blew his load in my pussy. And I was like, what? That does not happen. You don't put something inside somebody else's body without their consent. And I was like, listen, this could not have happened to a nicer girl. <laughs> However, thank God we're all tested and thank God that we took all of our precautions. This would get you fired and blacklisted on a porn set. You cannot accidentally have the money shot disappear. Mm -hmm. It's not just that you're coming inside a chick and the camera missed it. It's, it's you've now ruined the scene. You've ruined the script. The length of time that we film is important. And now you just did, did the whole scene in five minutes. And there's nothing left. Like, what do I do for the next 24 minutes of the show? Hmm. So it is, it's, Porn of Weekend was designed so that people could understand what the big mistakes are so they don't make them. And then also work through their mistakes, figure out what their triggers are, figure out what their, their preconceived ideas were, and work towards understanding what the performance aspect of it is. And then if you just want to film on your phone and put it on OnlyFans, that's great. We got a class for that too. But if you want to be taken seriously on a big set, we have those opportunities available. But in order to get one of those opportunities, you have to have certain skills. So we give you those skills. Because at the end of the day, I wish somebody had given me that opportunity. And so here I am trying to give that opportunity to other people. Because you know what? Sometimes that weird little farm girl from Abbotsford actually has some skill. It might be dick sucking, but it's still a skill. <laughs> well, I, I've always seen my, my mindset has always been that a lot of people um, don't give away answers or want to um, teach people or show people the way because they're afraid of spots being taken. You know, it almost oh. feels like a selfish thing where it's like, oh, uh, yeah, get an yes. agent. Like, I'm not going to like the old saying is, you know, everything that I know, but I didn't teach you everything that I know, you know, so. Um, I just wrote an article on this, and that's one of my biggest claims to um, I say claims to fame. One of my my biggest um, what do you say uh, things that I believe in is that we need to promote the people that work with us, regardless what level of the ladder you're on. You have to promote each other and work with each other because we are all building our way to the top. Some of us are going to get there faster than others, but there is no reason to think that your success hurts me. Your success does not take a job away from me. I, I need to celebrate your success the same way you need to celebrate my success. And if you and I work together, we need to promote each other. Now, there might be a situation where, let's say, um, one person has a million fans, the other person has 10 fans. That doesn't mean that that person with 10 fans is stealing the fame from the other person. And that doesn't, it doesn't mean that one person is better than the other. If you guys promote each other together, you're reaching two different audiences. One might be smaller, one might be larger, but at the end of the day, the scope is very broad. There are so many people in this world watching porn right now. It is crazy to think that your number next to 
next to the little sign of fans on your website are the only people who are buying porn. No, you should reach out to those other people. You should use them as the advertising and the marketing that they offer, that they are. Um, it's crazy to me. And I think this goes back to me and the way I was raised where we always help out your neighbor. You always, you know, if they don't have power at their house, you all come huddle at your house around your, uh, your wood fireplace until the power gets put back on. You know, we, we dig each other's uh, driveways out when it's snowing. You have to help out your neighbor. And if somebody didn't help me out 10 years ago, I wouldn't be here right now. So if Mr. T didn't teach me how to build my first clip site, if she didn't film my first video, if she didn't teach me word for word how to talk about different fetishes in a way that would help them sell better, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I owe her so much credit. And the reason I did as well as I did is because she promoted me. She told her fans, hey, look at this girl. And did she lose fans over that? Absolutely not. Did I gain fans? Absolutely. But then as I grew and I blossomed, I was able to return traffic back to her. And we continued to work together for 10 years. And it is, it was, it's, it's not that one of us stole from the other. We lifted each other up. We all got to the top. She got there long before me, but we all got to the top together. Now, why do you think that, I mean, you explained it so easily and, you know, gracefully there, but why do you think that some people approach it the other way? Do you think it's an insecurity thing or? I think it's a hundred percent insecurity. And I think it also comes from the difference I've noticed being here in LA is people have agents and people have managers and a lot of models don't run their own sites, don't run their own content. And they are being told what to do by the people who are helping manufacture them. I had to build everything from the ground up. So I understand the marketing. I understand the advertising. I understand my own analytics. I can read the back end of my website and see where my traffic is coming from and how to manipulate it. A lot of people out here get thrown on, you know, seven box covers for big name companies and they get a huge fan base, but didn't learn the skills on how to keep that fan base, how to engage that fan base. It was just given to them. And so they're afraid that if they do something wrong, if they give somebody else a spotlight, that fan base will be taken from them because it was only given to them because they were given a spotlight. I think my point of view is different because I had to build my own spotlight in order to point it on myself in the first place. And so my point of view is different. I'm not, I wasn't given a popularity because of a box cover. I had to do trade shows. I had to be the host of events. I had to hand out flyers. I had to make sure that my name was on everyone's lips when they left the room. They couldn't just go to browsers and see me in a video. I didn't just gain popularity because somebody popular mentioned me. I had to put in the groundwork. And so the difference in mindset is I know how important it is to promote and share and uplift each other because that's how we survived. And here in LA, it is very easy for an agent to go, bam, you're the next it thing, put you on a box cover, put you on a billboard. You're going to feature dance next Friday. Now you're a star. Deal with it. And they don't know how they got there and they don't know how to stay there. And that's why we see the, um, the life, the lifespan of a lot of young porn careers being very, very short because you're given a great opportunity without being given the skills to maintain it. Now being this, this like motherly figure, this boss figure, this, you know, manager figure, how much do you still enjoy shooting content yourself? I mean, you're so occupied with, teaching the others that this has become you know a job is it 
still fulfilling for you to be teaching people? Do you miss not being able to, you know, do your own content or do you still get pleasure out of doing that? Because a lot of people I ask them, you know, why do porn and they're, you know, you get the answers of clearly people like the money, but then other people are like, I love sex. Like how much do you get to enjoy it still while also overseeing so many other people and talent? I, at this point, because I can't work in the States yet. I don't, my paperwork hasn't gone through. So any of the stuff that I'm shooting right now is volunteer. And I've been volunteering a lot with companies like Alterotic because I know that when I'm on their website, that the advertising is worth it. It is so much more valuable than a paycheck. A paycheck I'll spend in a day. I'll spend it on one of the millions of parking tickets I get in a day out here in Hollywood. <laughs> but them promoting me, doing a press release, having me in magazines, having me on the cover of their DVD, that is so much more valuable for the longevity of my career that I'm building. Um, so I, like I said before, you know, it's not, I'm not very money motivated. I probably should be far more money motivated. Um, but I really hope that right now all of my focus is going towards working on porn bootcamp. We're about to relaunch and we've got so many jobs coming in. I literally have more work than I do talent right now. So we're really launching, uh, we're turning over a whole new leaf. We're bringing in new coaches and really trying to make something big of this. Um, I hope though, that once that is up and running on under its own steam, that I will be able to take a break and just perform. Nope. I love performing. I love being creative. I love being able to write scripts and, and create jokes and, and find ways to add silly double entendres to pornography. And right now that can't be my focus, but I really hope that I get to relax at some point, maybe a year or two from now and just perform and just enjoy porn for the hilarious dramatic comedy that it really is. Now, what types of scenes do you enjoy shooting? I mean, obviously you said you like doing the comedy, you like writing, but like, what is, what is the scenes that afterwards you're feeling like, you know, I feel amazing afterwards. Ooh, I mean, I love a good parody porn. I love like, I remember watching porn on VHS. Like you'd go to the video store into the back room behind the curtain. And I loved the funny stories, the story. Why are people humping right now? I hated Gonzo porn. I loved, I loved the crazy reasons as to why this woman is upside down, getting plowed on a path overlooking the beach. Um, the, it didn't have to make perfect sense. And the funnier it was, the better it was. And I really enjoy that old school take on pornography. Um, Burning Angel was really good at writing some really good parodies. Like the Grinch that gaped Christmas is one of my favorites. <laughs> Um, alterotic is very comedy based. It is so, so very comedy based. My last video with them required so many fake mustaches that we had to order them in bulk. Um, <laughs> like it is, I love, I love doing the comedy because I love acting and I love that I get to get into a character and become somebody else on screen. Um, my first video of burning angel, I played a Canadian pizza girl delivery delivery girl and I had a Nova Scotia accent the whole time, don't you know? <laughs> and it was hilarious. Uh, we made jokes about pineapple on pizza. And I just love that those little 
side innuendos were, were thrown in to see if people were actually paying attention. Now, we all know that 90% of people fast forward the first five minutes of dialogue and just get to the action. Mm-hmm. But for those people who watched the first beginning of porn and understand the dialogue, it was hilarious. And it made me feel so happy. Um, I started off doing femdom porn. That's what Mistress T taught me back in the day. Working with Club Stiletto, I did a ton of fetish porn only. I wasn't even naked on camera for my first year in the industry. Um, because I, I look like a scary dominatrix. I wear the outfit very well. And it wasn't until this year that I did a scene where I got a taste of my own medicine and I was told to beg for the first time ever. And I got put in that submissive girl position. And I was like, no, 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 nobody does this to me. And he was like, I do. And it was such a funny video to watch the wheels in my head turning in the same moment where I'm like, okay, I like this but I'm the boss, but you're trying to be the boss. What do we do here? And then this whole scene plays out. By the end of the scene, I'm saying, thank you, daddy, which is something I thought I would never say. Um, (laughs) And my fans loved it. I thought it was a very risky position for me to give my fans the opposite content that I had given them for 10 years. I thought, you know, this might wreck my career. This could go real sideways, real fast. And it didn't. My fans still saw me as a dominant goddess and the boss bitch that they loved to worship. But now they saw that there was finally a man who could break me. And they worshipped him and they loved him. They didn't want to be him. They wanted to praise him, knowing they could never be as good as him. And it was not the, uh, the response I expected at all. And for the first time ever, I truly had a video go viral and it sold tens of thousands of copies, which had never happened. In indie porn, you're making content as fast as you can because it's quantity over quality. You got to stay on people's timelines every single day. You can't sit on one video for a long time like we used to be able to. But this video changed everything. Um, It was with uh, a male dom named Derek Pierce and he was amazing. So I came back to LA this summer and I shot a second video with him and six months had gone by and my fans were like, when are you going to shoot again? When are you going to do this again? You know, this is you being raw and real and vulnerable in front of us. And I was like, no, I want to film a script guys. <laughs> like, I want to act. And they were like, we don't want you to act. We want to see you actually having sex. And so they, they rounded themselves together and collected enough money to pay for a production. So he and I would shoot together again. And we shot a second video called thank you, daddy that has done nearly as well as the first one and it is the exact opposite of everything that i have thought and believed was important in porn the acting the positioning you know turning out for the camera it is that raw you get to watch the sexy moment between two people and you get to see me out of my element and i think because i have a 10-year fan base of people who truly got to know me they no longer cared about seeing the actual action graphic and up close and high def. They cared about the emotional connection. And so from that point on, we started focusing on the connection between performers, not just the acting, not just the positioning, not just the script or the timing, but the actual connection, because that was the missing piece I didn't know was missing. Well, the cool thing about all this is hearing you talk about it and the, the thing that I'm listening and I'm hearing is that obviously it's serious. It's a business, but it's not taken too seriously. And I think the casual fan, the people out there that are, you know, don't follow a lot of talent, just a regular folks out there. It's taken so much. It's so seriously taken that they don't 
have fun watching it. They don't find the comedy and the parody that you talk about. I kind of feel like they just, you know, for whatever reason, it's just like it's they make it more complicated than what it is. And I don't know. I mean, if... well, porn and porn audiences have changed so much with technology. We used to sell these, you know, funny videos and parodies. We all remember the pirates porn. Um, Though that was how you did it back in the day, and then the internet changed, and then our, the way that we communicated with people changed. You know, you used to have to email a PO box to a fan site to talk to your favorite celebrity and hope that you got a message back one day in the mail, and now you can just go on Twitter and talk to Barack Obama if you want to. <laughs> it's so the way we connect with people is so quick and easy now, so we're no longer selling you know, fantasies, we're selling intimacy and interaction. And virtual reality had a lot to play in that because we were taking people and putting them into a moment with somebody else. You're not just watching people banging on the camera. Now you are in the body of somebody who's being done in on the camera. And so it's become, this intimacy and interaction that we're selling has become uh, both uh, something very challenging for us to deal with, but also something very beneficial to us. So this last year, I've just lost nearly 100 pounds again. Um, and I posted videos from November of last year. And I said, hey, guys, like I'm almost 100 pounds heavier in this video. Do you still want to see it? Like, look how different I look now. Look how much better I look now. And they were like, no, you are amazing. It's you we want to see. We don't care what package it comes in. And so because we're selling intimacy and interaction now, I can get away with my fans being loyal to me and feeling a connection with me instead of having to give them the product I think they want. Because the product that they want now is me. Not triple anal, not gangbangs, not babysitter. That's all fun. That's all icing on the cake. We now have access to be real fans and friends with the people that we watch, which was never an option before. Now, taking it to you know more of your personal life, how do you – I mean you mentioned you have a wife. So how do you mm-hmm. – uh, have a relationship while being so heavenly invested in what it is you do. For some people, it's hard to be in a relationship just being a talent. But being a talent and being involved in the business and overseeing so much, how does how does that have an effect on your, your personal life? Well, I mean, it really helps to be in a relationship with somebody else in the industry. <laughs> Because they get it. Mm -hmm. Um, The difference between my wife and I is that she she shoots a lot of gonzo. She doesn't like scripts. We film very separately. We have very different audiences. I hustle and grind every single day. Every morning I wake up and there is a long list of work that I can do. I don't have to. But if I want to be more successful than I was yesterday, I need to get online. I need to interact with my fans. I need to post something new. I need to make a new header. Whereas she's used to working for companies where they do all that for you without you even knowing. They'll post a new poster of you and then you end up finding out through Twitter like three days later. So our approach is very, very different. And so our relationship has nothing to do with any of that. Our relationship is about us going to a pumpkin patch or us decorating for Christmas and doing normal things together. We don't work together very often at all. And work just becomes what we each do. And our relationship is what we do when we're not working. Now, I mean, not to get too personal in your personal life, but you did reveal something the other day via Twitter, um, an experience that you had 
and I just wanted to give you the opportunity if you wanted to kind of explain it because reading the thread on Twitter is one thing, <laughs> but hearing it in your own words is another. And the reason I'm I'm asking if you want to talk about it, you don't obviously clearly don't have to, but I oh, felt like I felt like it was something that after me reading the thread, I feel like other people who may have been in the same situation or, you know, have similar situations could actually kind of learn something and benefit from hearing your story. So I guess the floor is yours if you want to, you know, talk about that experience that I'm referring to. Yeah. So that was the goal of me sharing it was I wanted to share it in such a way that other women would feel empowered. Mm -hmm. And it's a weird thing to say when you know the story. Um, but I, I didn't want to share it and look like a victim. I wanted to share it and say, hey, I'm doing what I want with my body because somebody else at one point told me no, and now I'm going to take back control. And so long story short, uh, 12 years ago, I was stabbed uh, in a strip club related incident when a man decided that he, well, he told me, I'll make sure you never work again, and then stabbed my pussy which was pretty dramatic. Um, spoiler alert, I lived. Um, but I had gouge marks in my outer labia for a long time. And while filming my own content, because I'd started porn two years later, I would just always make sure that the skin was stretched a certain way or I was in a certain position or my hand was covering one of the scars. And I knew how to move and maneuver myself in such a way that no one had ever noticed. Even the girls I worked with at the strip club never noticed. Um... So years went on, like nearly 10 years. And it wasn't until this January when I was filming in Vegas uh, with a friend of mine and they wanted to take photos. And so I had one hand was like, I was on my side and one hand was under me holding my boob and my other hand was hanging on to him for support so I didn't fall over. And I had one leg up in the air and I realized there was nothing hiding my pussy anymore. And there was no way to pull the skin in a flattering way. And he took the photo and nobody said anything. And then we, you know, we turned around, we did other positions and I, you know, I always reach back and like, you know, it spread my ass a certain way so that you wouldn't see scars. And I couldn't in this position, they had my hands up and I was like, oh no, what do I do? And then I saw the photos and I was like, crap, that doesn't look good. But no one said anything. No one ever, no director, no talent, no producer, no editor ever was like, what's wrong with your pussy? No one ever said a thing to me. I just saw it and I didn't like it. And I was so afraid for years that people online would be like, yo, like what's with the mangled snatch? No one said a thing. People, and like every boyfriend and girlfriend I've had have, I've told them about it. I've been so insecure before they go down on me. I'm always like, hey, by the way, I got stabbed in pussy. I've got some scars. And they're like, let me drown in your cunt, please. Like they didn't care. It was never an issue. I was never ridiculed for it. And then I finally, I came out here and I was shooting more and I couldn't hide it. I didn't have control over it. I did a cream pie scene with Alex Legend and the video, you can see very clearly, you can count the scars because of the position I'm in. And, you know, when the skin, you know, hangs a what certain way, it looks worse. And when it's stretched, it's easier to hide. And so I went to a cosmetic surgeon out here and I was like, what can we do about this? I was having laser resurfacing done for a long time at Made Medi Spa in Vancouver. And then when I came to Hollywood, I was like, I don't know where to go for these treatments. What can I do about my vagina? And uh, Dr. Graywall at Rockstar Beauty was like, well, we can just cut it off. And at first I thought he was joking. And he's like, no, we'll give you labiaplasty. We'll cut your outer labia off. And we'll pull the skin so tight that it attaches to your inner labia. And you'll have a smooth little Barbie vagina. And you won't have that problem anymore. 
And I booked the procedure that day. I had it done two weeks ago. I'm still healing. There's still stitches. Um, but for the first time in over 12 years, I have a vagina and I want to show off. I don't care what angle you take a picture from because it looks gorgeous. It is, I mean, it's very man-made at this point. It looks like, it looks exactly like you would think a man would design a vagina. It is so perfect. I can't wait for you all to see it. But I wrote that article on Twitter talking about this because I was like, you know what? There's something that bugged me that I didn't like and it made me feel bad. And somebody else did it to me. I didn't have a choice. And I was like, I'm taking the choice back. So I went and I had the labiaplasty, which is crazy painful. I was awake for the whole surgery. I watched everything um, because I thought I was going to go to med school. So I'm kind of into that. And I watched them stitch me up. And it was was like um, the joy that I felt was so powerful. And I... I really second-guessed myself. And I remember calling one of my best friends and just being like, did I make a mistake? Was this selfish? Like, did I just cut myself open to please people who follow me online whose names I don't even know? Like, what have I done? And he was like, no, you, you went through this. You wanted to make yourself feel better and you did something for yourself. And that is okay. And having that reassurance that it's okay to do things for yourself was incredible. I didn't realize I had spent so much time worrying about what other people think and trying to please other people that I had lapsed on pleasing myself. For 12 years, I was shy and embarrassed about my own vagina, even though I'm in an industry that exposes it. Mm-hmm. And finally, I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to make this okay. It doesn't matter if it's okay with you, it's okay with me. And it felt selfish and it felt a little irrational at first. But now that it's all said and done, I'm so glad that I did it. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that I have I have given myself back the confidence that I lost that night. You know, I was at the bad end of a wrong decision. And somebody else tried to take something from me and I took it right back. So when I wrote that article, my whole goal was to tell other women like, hey, you don't like something about yourself? You can change it. You can fix it. Somebody took something from you, you can change it. You know, even in the cases of... Um, uh, you know, women who are pregnant and they give birth and then they get some loose vagina skin and it gets a little darker and things happen because, you know, biology is not nice to us. You can go and get treatment to make it look better. If that's what's going to make you happy, do it. And so I started talking more about the different types of lasers they can use on your vagina skin and how to tighten your pussy and uh, labiaplasty. And women came at me from all forms of social media asking for the doctor's name and where they could do it in their area and what exactly it's called and what they should ask for. So many women have shown me their vaginas in the last two weeks asking if I think they should have it done too. It has been such a positive, um, empowering spin on what I thought was maybe a scary story to tell. Maybe something that would make me look bad. Because in the story, I openly admit that I didn't fight back. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very, you know, I like to think I'm a badass boss chick. And I would like to think that in today's time, uh, maybe I would fight back, but back then I didn't. I was scared and I didn't know what to do and I just took it. And I thought that that was a dangerous thing for me to tell my audience that, you know, I was a wimp and I was a coward and I was scared. But I thought showing that weakness would be potentially hazardous to my career. And it wasn't because so many women related, not necessarily that they had been stabbed in the pussy, but other forms of, you know, displeasure with their pussy from other reasons and 
it's been a really incredible to be on this side of that story where I can now help others and educate others and inform others and help them feel happy too. Well, I can say I encourage everybody to go out and, you know, read that thread that you, you had on your Twitter. Um, when I'm, yeah. when I'm reading it, like, I'm like, wow, this is like some SVU law and order type stuff. Like I'm reading it and I'm like, yeah. wow. Like it's something that it's, you, you stop and you think it's like, wow, this is not television. This is not a story. This is real life. This is what really happened. And that was the cool well, thing that to- you got out of it is that, yeah, you were trying to empower people, you know, and that's why when I saw it, I was like, I have to get her to talk about it because it's something that people out there, you know, were feeling like you were feeling. They may have gone through something yeah. and not wanted to talk about it because of embarrassment, you know, feeling like they didn't have control of the situation. So them not having control made them you know, weak in their mind or felt that, you know, other people's society would see them as weak or, you know, whatever. So that's why I felt, I felt like it was really important that, you know, we, we touched on that topic at some point in this podcast. Yeah. No, and I posted the before and after photos in all their graphic glory um, because I knew people were going to ask for them. So I just post, I go, here's my vagina guys, check it out. Um, But also too, like, I was so afraid to tell that story. And I, I mentioned this in the thread because I wasn't sure of the repercussions. And so I waited over a decade until I knew that the the man who had stabbed me could no longer touch me. Um, I wanted to make sure that I was in a safe place to tell that story. And it took 12 years for me to feel safe to, to mention the few details that I did mention. Um, but yeah, when you say it's like SVU, I was like, yeah, it was... It was one of those, I I mentioned that show in the response too, when I didn't know how to respond and I didn't fight back. I remembered watching uh, SVU and whenever one of the detectives was in a position where there was a gun held to their head or they were being stabbed or whatever, they would always look the criminal dead in the eyes and be like, this isn't you. You don't have to go through with this. We can make this work. We can talk this out. You know, you're just upset right now. You don't, you're not this person. And those were the kinds of things that I said to try and get out of it because I didn't know what else to do. And my only experience with that kind of situation was watching TV. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a gentle story, but I, at the end of the day, I didn't want anyone to think that I was a victim. I didn't want anyone to think, Oh, poor you, Samantha. I very much wanted to be like, Hey, somebody took something from me and I took it back. And it took me 12 years to find the, the courage and the education on how to get take back what I wanted. And the thing, and and the thing I feel like in your response is you were saying about how so many people like didn't seem to care, you know, about mm -hmm. the way it physically looked or whatever. They may have not known why it looked that way, or maybe they did, but it made me stop and think and say, wow, like there's probably a lot of people who were not looking at you as a victim and not looking at you in a weird way because of everything or not looking at you as weak and it was more of within yourself oh for sure to have to get over that you know like it's and it's it's weird how it's a mind fuck like that when you go through something like that and you're so subconscious and you're like oh people are going to think this people are going to think that and then all the while people are not thinking that it's right there in front of you that they're not thinking that way and yet you still think that somehow they're thinking that if that makes sense yeah. like i feel like i've been through 
clearly not a situation like that. But I, I think, <laughs> you know, I think everybody at some point it goes through something in, in their life where they feel that people are going to judge them. And it's like, really, at the end of the day, like you're almost overthinking it and making it more than what it is not to downplay what happened. But what I'm saying is making it more like you'd be surprised how many people are more understanding and how many people are not mm-hmm. judging you or not looking at you and thinking it. And it's more your own mind that's thinking it. Yeah. there. John Halcyon has a, a program called Hug Nation that I've been a subscriber of for a long time. It started off as a uh, YouTube videos and podcasts and expanded, expanded. Um, and one of the things that he always said and preached was the world would rather hug you than hurt you. Mm-hmm. And I saw that to be so true in the response that I got when I took big risks, like sharing this story, you know, changing the type of porn that I was producing, you know, making any big time, any big risk that I took, any time that I thought that I was, I was maybe making a mistake and I showed my vulnerability either in public or online or to my friends and family, the response was always very true. The world would rather hug you than hurt you. Um, something else that he teaches, um, which I have tattooed on my knuckles now, is love more and fear less. And I always think about being that kid in high school at the cafeteria, afraid of like what table to sit at. And I was like, you know what? If we just loved people more and, and feared less, feared less of whether or not the cool girls thought we were cool or feared less about you know, what your association with that person might do to you because of what your other friends might think. Like if we just feared less and just loved more, we would all be in a much better place. And so, so much of, of where my courage and my confidence comes from is those small little reminders. The world would rather hug you than hurt you. It's not such a scary place. It's not as difficult as everyone tells you it is. You know, everything that I've done in my life has really come from people telling me I couldn't do it. You know, it's too hard or people People aren't going to like you or you're never going to get a good career. What if you want to be the prime minister one day? You can't be a porn star. Like so, so many people tell you you can't do things and that, and that it's harder than it looks. And it's not, it really, really isn't harder than it looks. You just have to want it bad enough to have it. And at the end of the day, if we love more, love ourselves more, love each other more, love what we're doing and we fear less, fear less of what other people think of us, fear less of of the what ifs that are only in our mind and not reality, we would all be more successful and more happy doing what we truly love. I believe it takes more energy to hate than it does to love in the same, in the same sense that it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. Um, a hundred percent. So I guess what I'm really saying is I'd rather much be lazy. I'd rather much just love and smile (laughs) Then put energy yes. into hating and muscle into frowning. Um, so I think that's it's really awesome that, like, again, you got to share that story. And it wasn't something that I had even planned to speak about until, you know, I'm scrolling through Twitter and I'm like, wow. This Boom, is... there's her vagina. <laughs> well, not even so much that, but I mean, the story <laughs> itself was just, for me, it was like, that's why I love speaking to people on the podcast. That's why I love hearing from people. And, you know, clearly people are not all going to agree with the talent and the guests that I have on my podcast, you know, for whatever reasons. But like you said, you put it so, so nicely. It's just like, it's not that I don't care, but I don't care. You have to find a way where you're not going to please everybody, you know, like it's, 
it, it's just you're not going to make everybody a fan. You're not going to make everybody, you know, a believer of, you know, what you enjoy and what you think is, you know, fair and right. You just kind of have to go and, with it. And everybody's got a story. And when we start allowing people to share their stories, we learn that we have more similarities than we do differences. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you know, there's, there's a lot of people I've gotten in arguments with who have been like, the, the famous statement, I never, I never treated you badly because you do porn. And I'm like, that's such a loaded statement. Like, why even bring that up? If you never treated me badly because I, I did porn, but you're using that as a defense, it means that you think that you deserve to treat me badly because I did porn and you did me some sort of favor by accepting me. You know, like, it's, if we just stop and realize that we, we are more similar in, than we do are different, then we don't have to argue. We don't have to be upset. And if we stop and listen to each other's stories and relate to each other, then it doesn't matter if I do porn and you teach Sunday school. Mm-hmm. We can still find connection. We can still find value in each other. And it's really easy in a world run by social media to devalue people. It's, it's very easy to be an armchair critic. It's very easy to just dismiss people, especially with this cancel culture that's so popular right now. Mm-hmm. And I've been but if saying, we go back... I've been saying that sorry. for... I've, I've, no, I'm saying I've been saying that for as long as I can remember is that, you know, so much... I mean, especially in the world, but specifically here in the States, so much hatred that we have for people based on race or sexual orientation or, you know, gender. And I say to people, political preference. yeah, and I say to people all the time, I'm like, yeah, I'm not saying you have to agree with everybody's opinions or views on things, but you'd be very surprised if you actually sat down with an open mind, actually listened more than speaking you'd be surprised how much you have in common with people. You know, I think yeah. a majority of people, at least I like to believe a majority of the people are good. And a majority yes. of people would love to just live their life and not be bothered, you know, being told that they have to do this or do that or like this or like that. I mean, it's even like when it comes up to people and their sexual orientation. You know, I always argued with people that were so against you know gay marriage and i always said to people i really don't give a fuck if you want to go marry a tree (laughs) like is it costing me any money and is my taxes going to be higher is it going to make my life harder if it's not causing me any discomfort other than the fact that i just you know for whatever reasons i'm disgusted by it then who the fuck cares that's just my outlook on it i don't give a fuck who you marry it's not affecting me. When it starts affecting me, then I can have a say in it. And I know we live in a world where, you know, some countries you're allowed to have an open opinion about things, and that's fine. But again, if it's not affecting you, then why, I don't know, why why bother arguing the point? You know, I just feel exactly. like, you'd be, like you'd be really surprised how many people behind closed doors in their houses, you know, live lives that we live you know and they may not be the same race as us they may not be from the same cultural background but guess what go in their kitchen open a refrigerator guess what i'm sure you're gonna find a bottle of soda in there you're probably gonna find some milk in there you know i mean you're gonna find things in their house that looks just like your house you know so it's like we can all continue to be a little bit more open-minded and accepting of different cultures you know, and not feeling like, you know, one is better than the other or it's going to overtake and, 
you know, people are going to start doing this and we all have to. No, we can all live our own lives, but you'd be surprised how more common we are. And it's just something I just always wanted to drive home that, you know, people always say, you know, you're going to do things again that are just not going to make everybody happy. You know, and the quote, you know, you can always say is that you can please some people all the time and please all the people some of the time, but you can't please people all the time. You know, right. and that's just how it is. You know, I do a podcast that good 90% of it is, you know, adult talent. Not everybody likes it. It is what it is. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not looking, I'm not seeking approval. I guess that's what I'm getting at. You know, I want people to be able to share their messages and share their stories. And I just think it's really awesome that you're able to, you know, do that and share a story that even if it impacts and affects one person in a positive way. To me, that's a mission accomplished, you know, but not to be all, you know, mushy and, you know, sentimental and everything. But, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's just reality. And I just I think sometimes we just get so lost from reality, you know, in a world with so much social media, so much like we have so much resources at our fingertips, yet we lose sight of reality sometimes. Yeah. So. I feel like we should have that little graphic go across the screen, like the the more you know, <laughs> like the <laughs> now end. You yeah, know. The more you know, and a little star going across the screen. I feel like I'm just yeah. did a fucking PSA there, but um, I guess like, a couple other questions I want to get in before we wrap up. Um, so I mean, we propose all the time for fans to send us in questions, and a lot of questions we always get is like, who are people that you would still want to work with? Clearly, you've worked with big names like Derek Pierce, who has been a guest on the podcast, and Tara Patrick, who is just an absolute sweetheart if you've never met her. Um, so you've worked with some big names. Who are some names that are you would like to work with that you have not been able to work with for whatever reasons? Oh, gosh. Um Who I haven't worked with. I mean, not that I've worked with a lot of people. Um, coming out to LA this trip, every time I'm asked uh, which talent, male talent I want to work with, I always pick Derek. He's one of my closest friends, and we work really, really well together. Um, Derek is a cool guy. So I had, like I said, we've had him on the podcast, and you know, I've had conversations just off air with Derek, and it's just like he's a really cool, chill dude. That you know, it's you no, don't Dean's find my best yeah, you just don't find many people that are in his business that are just you know he's like he's like a cool combination of raw blunt but also like (laughs) he tell like like he'll bluntly tell you something but he tells you in a way that you don't feel like a douchebag for asking him something you know what i mean like you asked a question he's going to give you the honest truth answer you know and you don't feel like i said like an asshole for asking the question yeah right now because i have a new vagina i know that my next scene has to be done very cautiously. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to rip open my new pussy. <laughs> I seen you putting so, out feelers on Twitter for people that you know want to take your new pussy virginity. Uh, virginity out. Yeah, the whole Midwest wants it. <laughs> I was looking for performers. I didn't realize I didn't word that exactly the way I meant it. Um, but it's nice to know that you know Uncle Joe in his armchair at home is more than happy to. Uh, do the deed for me don't knock uncle joe because like you said there was once a time a small girl from a farm 
became yeah. a, you know a superstar. So Uncle Joe, Uncle and, Joe might might be the one. He could be in a corn stalk um, somewhere, being a boss. You don't know, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I was looking at like male talent out here, and like you know, Alex Legend's one of my really good friends, and he's got such a massive dick. Like we call it a baguette because it's the size of a baguette, and he's French, and it's hilarious. <laughs> um, but I know that like no matter how much I love him and I trust him, he cannot be my first scene back. Like somebody's gonna be taking my brand new, tiny, tight, fresh pussy virginity. It has to be somebody with a reasonable penis, a uh, comfort fit, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know who because I rack my head and I'm like, wow, everyone I know is so well endowed. Or like they're known for being aggressive or they're known for being forceful and hard and giving these like crazy, you know. Uh, hardcore scenes I'm like who do I know that's just like who's gonna make love to me on camera and I was like well no one's gonna buy that crap what do I do so I thought maybe like if I did like my first scene back as an anal scene we could just do some very gentle vagina like to test the waters and then like you know pound my ass that's fine I could probably find someone for that but I'm like trying to convince a male performer that he has to perform at five percent for me is probably not the easiest task. I thought that it would be like such an easy thing. Like agents would be calling me, like, "We want your new vagina or your new uh, your new vagina virginity." But asking a performer who works at a hundred percent to like tone it down to five percent is um, not something people jump at. Well, I like how you you said so, the comfort fit, like like the mattress, yes. like the sleep number. Comfort fit, sleep yes. number. So, like, what is your sleep number? You're going to be sleeping with somebody. What is your sleep number? One being, obviously, like, one inch, like, two inch. What's your what's your sleep number for the comfort fit? Okay, so I actually talk about this on my OnlyFans a lot. I bought a dildo because it reminded me of my favorite person to have sex with. It's not a very large. I think it probably sat at the sex store for a very long time being overlooked but is the perfect length and girth. I think it only has six insertable inches because, you know, the balls. Mm-hmm. Um, but the shape and the slight curvature and the thickness of it is absolutely perfect. I wish I knew what it was called. I, it's the only dildo I use on my OnlyFans. It is, it is the perfect dick. I've fallen asleep with it inside me so many times because the orgasms have been that good. <laughs> But then I've also fucked men like Isaiah Maxwell who have like – must be at least three feet long, that penis. Um, <laughs> but you're not going to accidentally fall asleep with it in you. Like you, you're you going to have an orgasm. You're going to shoot through the roof and then you're going to end up in the hospital afterwards because that's a lot of dick to take. Um, but my perfect dick is that neon pink one that I always use with the – I maybe like six insertable inches, maybe six and a half. And it's just a nice dick. It's so hard to find a nice dick these days. <laughs> well, I mean, the, with COVID going on and so many people in quarantine and locked up and everything, like people are are bored, and you know, there's there's probably a lot of raging guys out there that are willing to donate their services to you for the greater good. Um, but let people know but what where, I, but I was gonna say. It's like what, if people want, like you mentioned, the OnlyFans. How many people hit you up? online all the time that just want to kind of skip the the boot camp and just kind of just want to get right into it oh my god it happened today (laughs) (laughs) um how do you deal with those people you know what though unfortunately with covid and the the growth of OnlyFans, i taught OnlyFans classes in 2016 
when when strippers would look at me and be like, I would never put my boobs on the internet. Now they're like, Samantha, please tell me what you taught me four years ago. Um, but with OnlyFans, we've really encouraged everyone to think of themselves as a porn star now. So people aren't going through the normal channels to get into porn. They're just DMing you. They have access to you through Twitter, through Instagram, through OnlyFans. And they just message you like, hey, hop on my dick. I'm like, whoa, that is not how you say that. <laughs> Slow down. Or you're like, can we shoot content together? Period. Send. I'm like, okay, first, what's your name? How old are you? What country are you from? And like, I'm going to need more information here. Even when people apply for porn boot camp, they just go, okay, I'm willing to shoot porn now. I'm like, oh, thanks. I'm so glad you're willing to lower yourself to our standards. <laughs> like, uh, what's your name? Are you a boy? Are you a girl? I don't know. I've had people come to porno boot camp and based on their name, I assumed they were a man and a woman shows up. I mean, I mean, I'm a girl named Sam, so I shouldn't talk, but <laughs> it's, it's so funny to me that people don't know how to communicate anymore. No one knows how to write a cover letter. No one knows how to make a resume. People are just like, yo, get on my dick. <laughs> I'm just like, and how old are you, sir? <laughs> um, yeah, it's nuts. And there's there's no way to deal with those people but to educate them and just be like, hey, I love working with amateurs. It's so much of what porno boot camp is. I truly believe that you should root for the underdog because they have so much more passion than somebody who is given a free pass. However, that does not mean that I'm going to fuck every underdog I meet. <laughs> I have to be very selective. And we have rules in the industry. We have to have full STI panels testing every 14 days. Right now we're having... COVID testing done 24 hours prior to every shoot that we're on, whether you are a cameraman or a director or a makeup artist or a performer, you have to have your COVID test done. Um, there's lots of rules and regulations that we have to follow to ensure safety. So when, you know, Uncle Bob is like, hey, hop on it. I'm like, listen, you don't meet the standard, bro. <laughs> but if you want to meet the standard, then we could talk. Yeah about what your options are well i know um, i was very conflicted i had to flip a coin on what question i was going to ask you you know it was, it was either hop on it or you know be a guest on the <laughs> podcast so you know i just like i got a 50 50 chance of this working here you know i was like uh, i guess we'll just go with the podcast part because i just didn't think the other one would work and i'm glad that i did that because <laughs> I, I can see now that you know the probably the other you know hop on it was just not going to get you on the show um yeah it's not technically a question either so yeah, it's more of just a command, and you know you've clearly yeah. made it known that you're the more dominant one here. So, knowing that, me telling you to do something like hop on <laughs> it, which just yeah, doesn't work well. counterproductive. Like that's just you know, you know. I guess it'd be. I guess they should have worded it differently. Like you hop on me, or like hop on me, or you know, not hop on it. Question mark? Yeah, question mark. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you know. So I just I played it safe. I was just you know I just. I just DM'd you and was like, hey, you want to be on the podcast, you know, and you did your due diligence. You asked what the podcast was about, you know, made sure that I wasn't just some dude that was just jerking off while you were, you know, talking about your life story. Um, Been there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. And those podcasts, I don't, you know, I'm sorry that you had to put yourself through those situations. But um, but I mentioned the social media and I want you to plug away where everybody can find you at on social media, because we had a little hiccup here getting you on the podcast because we weren't sure who we were talking to on Skype. So I wanted to make sure that if people are going to ask you to hop on it, at least 
ask to write so they're asking the Mac. Me? yeah that they're asking you and not some dude pretending to be you who is like more than willing to hop on it there are a lot of dudes trying Samuel to be would so that like they can to hop, hop on, on it. it not Samantha you know <laughs> mm-hmm. so. um right now you can find me on YouTube at the real Samantha Mac um, I used to post live shows every week. Right now, I'm just posting my Q&As. Uh, every Wednesday, I do a Q&A where I answer the good, the bad, and the ugly of all the questions sent in to me at Instagram. My new handle on Instagram is at the Samantha Mac underscore. Do not follow any of the other Samantha Macs on there. None of them are me, and I can't get them deleted. Um, on Twitter, I am the Samantha Mac. On OnlyFans, I am the Samantha Mac on pretty much anything else. I'm the Samantha Mac unless I've had my account deleted already. <laughs> um, and let's see, where else can you find me? Oh, besides being Samantha Mac, I, I mean, I run Mac Models. So say, my webpage, which was the Samantha Mac.com, which is no longer, became Mac Movies because. I work with so many people through Porno Bootcamp and so many people through Mac Models, and I wanted to have a platform to showcase them. So I changed my website to be inclusive to all of the models that we were working with. So now Mac Movies is available uh, as a .ca. I always update the Canadian stuff first because I'm loyal to my home. Uh, Mac model, MacMovies.com and Mac Movies on OnlyFans. So on OnlyFans, it's really fun because – we, my studio back in Vancouver is still shooting. So they go live and they produce content there with a whole ton of new models. And I'm producing here and posting it from Los Angeles. So you're getting the best of both worlds. So Mac movies is what I'm changing everything over from. But I realize when people look for me on the internet, they still type in Samantha Mac. So Samantha Mac is still available on the internet. Mac movies is now available on the internet. And soon we're going to launch the, uh, the new porno boot camp. It, it's ready. It's just not public yet. So. I was going to say, because I get all these suggestions from Twitter that, you know, at the Mac models, you know, and at the Mac mansion, you know what I mean? Like, there's so yeah. many different things. And I'm like, OK, wait, who's who here? I was like, I want to make sure that I'm talking to the right models and I'm heading to the right mansion because I don't want to be at the crack whores at the crack house. So I want to make sure right. I'm at the Mac models at the Mac mansion. Um, well, because the Mac Mansion is is me. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's not me. It's not run by me anymore. Okay. Um, it's run by my partner in Vancouver. But that is my studio space that we were renting out. We weren't always renting it for porn, and people didn't always want to be associated with porn. So that's why we created at the Mac Mansion because um, we rented it for photo shoots and music videos. And um, it was in an episode of uh, iZombie. <laughs> so. Uh, we didn't want it to be specifically porn related. So the Mac Mansion is actually the film studio that I work at or that I created, um, one of three. And the Mac Models is our our models, but it's once again not run by me. Um, I have somebody else running all my social media that isn't me because there's just too many accounts to follow. Mm-hmm. So the Mac Models, the Mac Mansion, uh, Mac Movies, it's all part of the team. It's and all part it, of the team. And it's fam. amazing because, like I said, we had Francesca on who is mm-hmm. you know a Mac model. And it was crazy is that people heard that and then they heard that you were going to be on. And then I felt like I was now a permanent resident of British Columbia because I had every mm-hmm. Mac model hitting me up on Twitter and following oh, no! me. And I'm like, no, that's cool. I love it. Like there's so many, um, I guess, people that have worked with you that, you know, are considered, you know, official, you know, Mac models. 
you know, that hit mm-hmm. me up and, you know, it was really cool. And then it's just like, it's cool for me because now I have like a whole new menu of talent that I can have on the podcast, you know, like. And they're hungry. Yeah. It was just they, like. They want, they want the work. They want the notoriety. They want the publicity so badly. Like the people that have become Mac models, not everyone who goes to porno boot camp becomes Mac models, but those who have they are they are really striving to do something that they want and not just chasing the money because there isn't a big industry in Vancouver yet. They do make some money, but not a lot. And there's there's an interesting situation that came out of it is that people have now started telling people that they're a Mac model in order to get what they want when they aren't. Mm. And I, I developed a testing program in British Columbia that's very similar to the talent testing that we have here in Los Angeles so that models could continue with their STI testing and that it was something that was regulated and safe and available to them even during COVID when a lot of the testing facilities were shut down. But they had to be under my label in order to get this because I was protecting my talent. Um, and so if you weren't verified as as talent, you couldn't get occupational testing done. Not that you couldn't, but it would take longer. And the the length of time it takes to get results takes longer. And so we had worked directly with the CDC to make this accessible, to keep the industry safe. And then the nurses would call me and go, oh, yeah, we tested four of your models this morning. And I was like, for what? We don't have any shoots this week. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah. Um, and I was like, wait, who, who was it? Because I gave you my it. list. <laughs> and they were like, oh, no. like They were like, they weren't, they weren't models on your list. They said they were new. And I'm like, I assure you, I do not have any new models. So whoever you tested lied to you. And I'm glad that they sought testing. I'm glad that they felt it was something important that they needed. And I don't mind them using my name to do something that is safe for them. But it's a really interesting outcome that I never saw coming. It's kind of so it's now being be a, a Mac model means something. Yeah, I was gonna say it's got to be somewhat flattering to know that you know to be considered a Mac model is you know carries weight to the point where people. Or pretending to be one, you know, like if it, if you weren't doing what you were doing, then no one would want to be a Mac model or lie about being one. So I guess that's yeah, the way I, I would look at it. It's a pretty good badge of honor right now. <laughs> so I'm, and we're looking to expand our Mac models now, the way that we're going to be um, hiring people and bringing people on as official Mac models and also on as our, on our roster is going to be different. We're going to have different levels of performers because they're, once again, there's so much work available right now. So we're going to do a bit of a tiered system based on uh, experience um, so that when we are hiring in Vancouver, more people have opportunities. And it's not just the same five models over and over again. Mm-hmm. We're really, really trying to expand because now is the best time. COVID shut down everything and all we have now is time to chase our dreams. So why not make it as as easy and as available as we possibly can. Well, I think the it's... world is so big. We're not we're not fighting for customers. There's billions of people yeah. in this world. We and they're all watching porn. We're all very lucky. <laughs> so, like I said before, like we all have to lift each other up to the top together and not worry about this being a competition because it's not. It never was. Well, I think it's it's been really cool having you on the podcast. And then is there anything else you want the fans to know that we haven't addressed or talked about oh my gosh i don't know follow my only fans <laughs> <laughs> C- 
Go to Mac, Mac movies.ca is the website I update the most. Um, that one has over 700 videos. If you click on the, there's a secret link. So if you click on the head photo, it'll take you to my secret membership page that I don't advertise that has my entire career, all of my videos since 2010 till now archived on it. And so for one monthly fee, much like OnlyFans, you can see everything I've done. And that is almost 700 videos. I don't advertise it. I don't tell people where it is very, very often. Um, because a lot of my older work, I'm a little bit embarrassed by, you know, either I didn't look as good as I do now, or I wasn't as well spoken, or I didn't quite understand the fetish. And I might've fumbled through, you know, giant tests or vor or foot fetish or whatever. Um, I'm very proud of the work I do now. And I keep saying this month after month that I don't like the work I did last month because I'm so much better now. Um, but there is the good and the bad and the ugly. So if you want to see everything I've ever done, how I've grown, how I started, where I came from, um, if you go to macmovies.ca and click on that first big main photo at the very, very top, it will take you to that very secret archive of my entire pornographic history. Well, it's been an awesome time speaking with you, and I'm glad that – I guess I should give a shout-out to Twitter for making the suggestion that I should follow you. Um, because, I'll take you, Twitter. Yeah, because you know Twitter did something right here. Um, because, again, I was not really too familiar with your work. I'm sure I may have you know came across it at some point over the last 10 years and not really realized you know who I was looking at and enjoying. Uh, but I came across your Twitter and it was, you know, it's like instantly followed you and, you know, asked you to be on the podcast. And I'm glad that I did because it's been awesome having you on. So I appreciate you talking to us Thank and you. we hope to hear more things from you. And everybody, make sure you follow her on social medias and follow her or on the Internet. And yeah, like I said, there's <laughs> a lot of content out there <laughs> that it can be a little overwhelming, but just take it in little portions. And believe me, you will, you, <laughs> you will enjoy it thoroughly if your samantha mac addiction lasts for more than four days turn off your internet <laughs> yeah if you if that or call a doctor you know it's like if you have an erection <laughs> if you have an erection for more than four hours please consult your doctor you know but i'm i'm pretty sure that you know they will have erections over and over and over again watching your well, content. i hope so <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the end goal here you know what i mean if it's if you're if you're lame you know limping it then it's just then you probably shouldn't be samantha mac you know <laughs> but it's been cool having you on and uh we appreciate Thank you, you talking i appreciate it us. i'm samantha mac accidental creator of porno boot camp you're listening to mixmaster b on mmb radio